Hi, this is Ben Lola, Back to the Bible Canada. On today's program, we continue our series with Dr. Newfeld, The Greatest Sermon Ever Preached. And we'll be looking at the meaning of the golden rule. So turn with me to our passage in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, as we go back to the Bible. Matthew 7.12 is one of the most familiar passages of the Bible. It's been called the golden rule. It simply says, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Now, it's no secret that similar things are also said in a great many other religions and philosophies of the world. For instance, the founder of the Baha'i faith is the Baha'u'llah. He said, Ascribe not to any soul that which thou wouldst not have ascribed to thee. Or, Buddhism states, hurt not any soul in ways that you yourselves would find hurtful. And Confucianism says, try your best to treat others as you would wish to be treated yourself, and you will find that this is the shortest way to benevolence. Hinduism says, this is the sum of duty. Do not do to others what would cause pain if done to you. And Islam says, none of you truly believes until he wishes for his brother what he wishes for himself. Indeed, it has been said that there are versions of the golden rule found in at least 21 other religions. Add to this the often repeated words that the golden rule is the heart of all religion and therefore, at least as some say it, even though religions differ in many ways, the heart of all religions are essentially the same. Do unto others what you would have them do unto you. I think we've all heard people say that. Now, I know that some Christian teachers argue that Jesus makes the matter positive and other religions make the matter negative. In other words, Jesus states the matter in a superior fashion. That is, in Hinduism, we are to refrain from causing pain, and in Jesus, we are to actively do good. You know, but that won't do, for first, it really doesn't matter whether you state the matter positively or negatively. In essence, it works out to do the same thing. And second, a great many religions do state the matter positively, as in Islam, we are told to wish for our brothers what we would wish for ourselves. So let's begin at the outset by openly admitting that Christ's golden rule is not unique to him. Many have said it both before and after him. Furthermore, the principle of Matthew 7, verse 12 is found in the Old Testament. Leviticus 19, verse 18 says, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, before I make comments about this statement and its relation to other religions, let's take note that this is not the only time Jesus said something that sounds very much like the golden rule. Early on in the Sermon on the Mount, in chapter 5, verse 43, Jesus said, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And of course, that goes far beyond what other religions teach. And in Matthew 19, verse 19, he says, love your neighbor as yourself. And then he repeats that a second time in Matthew 22, verse 39. Indeed, as we have noticed in our study on the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 17 forms a key to interpreting the sermon. Do not think that I have come to destroy the law and the prophets. And throughout his ministry, Jesus frequently referred back to the intent of the law. Apparently, the golden rule is the intent of the law. So listen to the interchange between Jesus and a certain lawyer or an expert in the Old Testament law, and it's found in Matthew 22, verses 35 to 40. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. 
Teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Now, in order to understand the Old Testament law, says Jesus, one must break the essence of it down to the Ten Commandments. All the incidental details of the law are a further expansion for Israel of the basic commands found in the Ten. Then the Ten themselves can be broken down further into two halves, what is often called the first and the second table of the law. The first table, the first four commands, which includes the prohibition against idols and against misusing the sacred name, teach us how to love God. The second table, which includes the prohibition against adultery and murder, teach us how to love our neighbor. And ultimately, it is the last six commands that are the commands that have something to do with the golden rule, that we are to treat our neighbor as we would have him or her treat us. Who would want their neighbor to commit adultery with their own spouse? And so, since we wouldn't want that done to us, we should treat them in the same way. Love them as yourself. And the Old Testament law is an exposition within the life and culture of ancient Israel how in the everyday events of life, they are taught to love and to keep the golden rule. But when I say things this way, I can almost hear those who claim that all the world's religions are essentially the same say, well, you see, this is the essence of all true religion. And after all, Jesus said that it is the essence of the law, and the essence of the law and the teachings of Jesus is also the essence of, well, Hinduism and Islam and, and so forth and so forth. But once we say that, we commit a fundamental error, and the error is essentially the same error as that of the Pharisees. You see, for a Pharisee, law-keeping was the pathway to holiness. Keep the law, they said, and you will be righteous and God will accept and reward you. But for Jesus, this approach only led to pride. He taught that the basic posture of a citizen of his kingdom was one who was poor in spirit, not one who was rich in spiritual achievement. Jesus taught that all of us were essentially evil, fallen from God, and unable to save ourselves. Indeed, for Jesus and the rest of the New Testament, the very nature of the law was such that, that while it truly and accurately expressed the righteousness of God and the righteousness that God demands of us, well, all of this only led to despair. It highlighted where we had fallen short and highlighted our sins. See, that's why the parable of Luke 18 is so significant in the teaching of Jesus. The Pharisee, while in prayer, was thankful that he was a law keeper. He thought he did the golden rule, but his problem was that he was hopelessly self-deceived. And the publican who beat his breast and couldn't even look up to heaven, but could only cry out to God for mercy, was the man who had truly grasped what was required before God. And it's the same of all the other religions. It's not that they haven't grasped an important principle. It's just that they don't do it. And if they claim that they do it, they only deceive themselves. See, the law not only reveals that we're sinners, but the law also reveals that we are condemned and under the wrath of God. And that's why Paul would say in Romans 7, 7 to 8, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it was to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. 
But sin, seizing the opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. See, for Paul, the law not only revealed sin, but in sinful human beings, the law excited even further rebellion. So let's get back to the golden rule and its place in the law. Yeah, and it's true that the principle of the golden rule is found in other religions. But that shouldn't shock us. For there are a great many principles in other religions that Christians would agree with. We never say they're wrong about absolutely everything. God, in his common grace, has revealed himself through means, although none of these religions lead us to the place of forgiveness of sin and reconciliation with God. But in Christ, the golden rule performs in two unique ways, in ways that it does not appear in any other system of spirituality. First, Christ sees the golden rule not as the essence of his teaching, but rather as one of the essential outcomes of his teaching. In Luke 19, verse 10, he teaches that the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. And in Luke 5, 32, he says, I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. Of course, Jesus was not saying that anyone is righteous, but he was saying that only those who identified themselves as sinners even heard his call. He came for lawbreakers. The essence of Jesus' teaching, then, is not that we should love our neighbors, but that we have not loved our neighbor at all. And we're seriously deluded if we think we have. And furthermore, we are under the wrath of God and in desperate need of a Savior. See, no other religion teaches that. The golden rule is intended to drive us to the point of despair and the understanding that we really do need a Savior. And there's a second way in which the the golden rule functions in the teachings of Jesus. For as we can see in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus does demand that his disciples should practice it. And it's not just that they should discover that they had not done it as they ought, but that they should see this as a framework in which they interact with the people around them. There's so much more to say about this because the way we practice the golden rule as believers is absolutely unique to us. We practice it as citizens of the kingdom, and that changes everything about how the golden rule is thought of and practiced among Christians. When we come back, Dr. Neufeld helps us discover the uniqueness of the golden rule and how it transforms the way we live today. This past year, I've taken the opportunity to author a new book entitled Making the Most of Your Salvation. You know, in this day and age, I can't imagine a more important topic as it provides insight into the essential benefits of your salvation and in so doing provides a message of hope and joy so needed in challenging days. I think it's true to say that many of us walk through our daily journey with Christ uncertain of really all that he's done for us through his death and resurrection. You know, we question and we struggle because we don't understand the breadth of what Jesus has provided for his people. Ten key benefits I'll share, including our adoption, the Holy Spirit, and our assurance. I want you to know all that your salvation provides. So for the month of February, Back to the Bible Canada is offering to send you my new book, Making the Most of Your Salvation, for free, just for asking. So request your copy today by calling 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is announcing the coming of his kingdom, and in that, 
He announces that his kingdom is at war with the kingdoms of this world. We are called upon to engage in battle until his kingdom is consummated and the kingdoms of this world are no more. But the weapons of his warfare, as Paul would later say, are not carnal. He would call upon his followers to love their enemies, to pray for those who persecute them. They would be the light of the world and the salt of the earth. And the way they would act would be an invitation to call men and women to leave their attachments to this world and hear the call of his kingdom. And his followers in the treatment of them would find his community a community of grace. And so while the world's religions call men and women to be considerate of others and even to love people and treat them with respect in Jesus, his call to the golden rule is absolutely unique. And that leads us then to consider what doing the golden rule actually looks like in the life of a follower of Jesus. Have you ever wondered what would happen if everyone behaved as you did? I know that there are lawless people in this world who boast that most people don't have the courage to behave as they did. Well, perhaps they're right. But what if everyone did have the courage to do what they did? What if others had their courage to take advantage of another person in a business deal, let's say? To murder when someone got in their way or when they disagreed with them or to take risks for their own selfish gain and the disadvantage of others or to slander others and so discredit them so that they could get what they want. What if the rest of the world had that kind of courage? Well, if that happened, all law and order would lie in ruins and the world would become a living hell. Ask the gangster what would happen if everyone became a gangster, or ask a thief what would happen if everyone became a thief or a drug pusher, if everyone preyed on children as he did. What would happen then? The answer is always the same. Wicked men count on the fact that the vast majority would not behave as they do. They count on the hope that others who are abused by them would not know and be able to respond to them as they have treated them. Now, the golden rule turns the matter around. If you practice the golden rule and everyone behaves as you did, the world would be a very much better place. And so it's always seemed to me that the first test of the golden rule is that basic test. What would happen if everyone did what I did? Consider the person who cheats on their income tax form. If everyone did the same, roads would not be built, health care would not be available, Public education would be denied to the vast majority, and the electricity in our homes would not come on. Police departments would not be paid, and no fire department would show up in the case of a fire. Think of the unethical businessman who finds a way to break the rules while in competition with others. Again, if everyone broke the rules, there is no contract anywhere that would make any difference, and in the end, no business would survive. You know, I could multiply illustrations, but you do get the point. At some basic level, doing to others what we would have them do to us means that we conduct ourselves in a way that is exemplary. But of course, the golden rule goes well beyond that. It invites us to do more than make it possible for a culture to survive. It invites us to find ways of blessing others, making their lives what we would want our lives to be. You know, as I've already mentioned, all the commands of God that are related to the treatment of our neighbor are so directed. I would want my neighbor, if according to the Old Testament law, he saw my ox or cow straying from my field, I would want him to take the time and put it back again. And I should do the same if my neighbor's cow strays. You know, in contemporary terms, if my neighbor's on vacation, I might want to take in his or her mail and keep watch on his or her house so that no one breaks in. I would love it if the same were done to me. 
But the matter becomes much more complicated when it comes to some of the commands of God. For instance, in Matthew 18, Jesus gives very explicit instructions about his future church and the process of excommunicating someone who will not repent. Now, most of us would say, I don't want the experience of being excommunicated. It would be very painful if done to us. And Paul in 1 Corinthians 5 reiterates this point, even using the words, hand this one over to Satan. Furthermore, some of the commands of Jesus seems to violate the golden rule. He calls the Pharisees a brood of vipers and whitewashed tombs and, and men who, when they win a disciple, make them twice the child of hell that they are. Who would want that to be said about them? You know, I, for my part, would not want to be spoken of in that manner. Indeed, in the case of Judas, Jesus said that it would have been better for him never to have been born. Furthermore, no one spoke more frequently on the subject of hell than Jesus did. He warned about the real possibility of people going to a place where their worm or their essence would never die and the fire would never be quenched. In that place, he said, there would be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And here is the point of insight. If we assume, as I do, that Jesus was entirely consistent in every way, we might do well to consider that the golden rule and its application requires a little more thought than the idea that we should be nice to everyone. For Jesus was not nice to some, even while he was amazingly compassionate to others. How are we to apply the golden rule to church discipline, or confronting an abuser, or, or turning in a criminal to the police, or again, the examples simply multiply? You know, I think from my perspective that, that in order to understand the golden rule, we need to apply it from the perspective in which Jesus gave it. For Jesus was announcing the onset of the kingdom of heaven. He had come to inaugurate the rule of God and to destroy evil. Eventually, all evil would be overthrown and Satan would be driven out. Evil men defeated. All would stand before the judgment seat. Eternal life or eternal misery awaited every single human being. Now, in this time when the kingdom had come but was not yet consummated, now, right now, was the time to repent. See, from that perspective, the golden rule must mean that what we would want others to do for us is to warn us that the time of universal judgment lay ahead. It is no kindness at all if we feed the hungry, clothe the naked, but do nothing about their eternal soul. In the light of eternity, we would consider it an act of violence if the one who fed us when we were hungry knew about the great white throne of God's judgment and about the mercy and forgiveness and grace found in the cross and did not explain it and invite us to become one of the children of God. We would turn to that person in eternity and say, so you had the words that would rescue me from darkness into light and you kept them from me. How would you want it if someone treated you in that way? See, for the Christian, the golden rule necessitates evangelism, discipleship. And when a brother or sister is erring and putting their soul in danger, we do well to warn them. We do well to invite them to repent and turn and be healed. That is doing to others as we would have them do to us. And so, in a way, the golden rule does encapsulate all that Jesus taught in relation to others. We are not to lust after another man's wife or another woman's husband, for to do so brings harm to both our spouse and the marriage of another. We are not to divorce our spouses, for to do so brings harm to them. 
We are to do good to those who persecute us, for to do so makes it possible for them to repent and turn and be forgiven before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we are not to do our deeds of righteousness to be seen by others, lest they think that devotion to God is a matter of, well, human popularity and and pride. Indeed, we are to feed the hungry, and we are to clothe the naked, for if we were hungry and naked, how gracious it would be if someone treated us in that manner. But we are also to warn, to confront, to appeal to men and women to be reconciled to God. Now, if we do that in a judgmental fashion, we can rest assured that we will not win them. Rather, we will only contribute to condemning them. Only in relation to those who are unwinnable, like the Pharisees, who want to subvert the vulnerable, do we take the kind of harsh tone that Jesus took. When Jesus calls us to do unto others what we would wish that they would do to us, he was giving a command to his followers that would require a great deal of thought. After all, the light of the world and the salt of the earth need wisdom if they are to truly be salt and light. For the world is full of people who will tell you what to do, but the world is in genuine short supply of those who win the lost and heal the wounded. So, if you're a child of God, what is God now saying to you? From Jesus, when you read this account, what is your calling? When you look at your circle of influence, perhaps to your children or your spouse or your family or your work colleagues or the people you lead at church or perhaps you have a wider leadership role in your community and all these things, what are you to do? May God give you wisdom as you seek to do to others what you would so dearly have someone do to you. May your way of life be exemplary. Heavenly Father, thank you for the clear command that we are to love our neighbor. Thank you for the example that you have shown us in how you have acted towards us. Oh, Heavenly Father, give us the power to live according to that which you have taught. Amen. What a great study on what the golden rule means for every believer and how Jesus' words call us to live out his kingdom here on earth. Not an easy task to be sure, but through his teaching, I believe the Holy Spirit will guide us into how we might apply it in our homes, our workplaces, churches, and wherever God has placed us. Doing unto others means more than just random acts of kindness. It implies a lifestyle of intentionally encouraging and sharing with others about the truth that leads to eternal life. I hope that this message has blessed you today. Join us again tomorrow as Dr. Neufeld continues unpacking the Sermon on the Mount, looking at Jesus' invitation to the kingdom in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 to 20. Back to the Bible Canada, leading you forward in your walk with Jesus every day. Every day we partner with radio stations across the country, like the one you're listening to right now, to air the Bible teaching programs of Back to the Bible Canada. We want to thank the faithfulness of our radio partners and remind you to thank them as well. We also want to thank our listeners from across Canada who support this ministry with your encouragement and financial contributions. Your thoughtfulness ensures Bible teaching is made available in your community and across Canada as Back to the Bible Canada remains steadfastly committed to teaching the life-changing truths of the Bible. To our radio partners and listeners alike, thank you. This ministry of Bible teaching on radio could not be accomplished without you. 
To learn more about the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada and all the resources available, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.